Welcome to Become an Idol. I'm Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses. This is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. I have here today with me Brian Harris, and Brian Harris is just He's someone that's been in the Idol Courses Academy. He's an alumni, but he's more than that. He's a business owner. He's an e-learning designer and developer extraordinaire. And he just has so much wisdom and a great radio voice. So I can't wait to introduce you to Brian. Brian, will you please do a better job of introducing yourself and tell us your business name and all the background stuff? Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Brilliant Educational Services is the name of my business on brilliantelearning.com. And what I, my background, primarily I started doing learning experiences in the form of video. You know, I did a lot of video learning experiences, a lot of content development in that regard. And when you do that, you, you're you just, there's so many different talents and there's so many different jobs and so much different work associated with creating a video. So I just wound up doing a lot of that kind of thing and I was working, you know, I, I got laid off from a job and I went ahead and kind of started a new career and instructional design came up to me and it just, it made a lot of sense in terms of the skill set that I already had and some of the passions that I had as well, personally, in terms of teaching, because I had taught before learning, focusing a focus on education. So those kinds of things really appealed to me. And then I could also utilize some of the design background that I had. So I started doing this instructional design, freelancing, maybe about four years, almost three years ago now, a bit more full time. And before that, maybe about five years doing some bits and pieces for some other professionals that I was just connected with personally and gradually have turned it into my own kind of thing that I'm doing, my own company, my own one-man operation with admittedly a great deal of thanks to the Idle Courses Academy where I signed up. What year was that? That was 2020, I believe I it was. I think it was 2020. I, I think yeah, you were that, in one of our early like fourth cohort. I think it was four. Yep. Uh-huh. So, so yeah, I signed up there and it, it's been, it's been a really, really good experience for me in terms of not just learning and acquiring greater skill set, broadening my thought process and knowledge when it comes to learning itself, the study of learning, but then also how to design effective learning experiences and then being incorporated in the, into the community, the L&D community via Idle Courses Academy is, is really fantastic. And now everyone knows who you are. <laughs> I don't know about that. But. <laughs> well, I just, I mean, you've been featured on Bell Vista Studios show, and I'm sure you've done other things as well. And um, I talk about you all the time because I just love that signature e-learning course that you made about counterfeit money in Peru. I just, I reference it all the time. So, Oh, great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you enjoy it. Yeah, it's, it was, it was one of those things, counterfeit caper was just one of those things that it just kind of grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And I kept working on it, working on it, working on it. And it's it was almost a reflection of kind of my own personality where, you know, I got taken advantage of in Peru financially by somebody. And my reaction to it is, you know, don't get angry, you know, arm yourself with knowledge. And so that kind of motivation really led to 
a project idea and a concept and it just kept going. And, and I was really, really glad to be uh, affiliated at that time with the Idle Courses Academy to really have that motivation to not only design it, but then also, you know, understand, hey, this is how you're going to make this thing, these types of things effective and engaging and, you know, efficient. So I think that was that was really, really beneficial. And, and it's it's kind of grown into something that I didn't anticipate, but but I'm, I'm glad it's it's been enjoyable. I mean, I just love it. I mean, that's like the whole thing. It's I think a lot of what we do is half art and, mm-hmm. and art is like magic making in the sense that, you know, you as the artist have, you know, put in your creative thoughts and passions and, and knowledge right there in that one single e-learning course. But it's all these people that have observed it that have also felt something from it. And that's to me, that's pretty magical. Yeah. And that's, that's why absolutely, I think what's happened to the counterfeit caper. So now you have been in business. So probably two, three full years now. Yeah. Uh huh. It's been about three years now. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I just, I want to hear a little bit about your, your freelance business journey. Just give a little more background. And then I think we want to talk about that process of meeting with clients and designing e-learning and um, how do we have conversations and how do we do better? There's a lot of talk around the word order taker. And Mm -hmm. I think we want to kind of reframe maybe what that means and what that conversation could look like and how we can do better. But just tell us a little bit about your business and the kinds of projects you've been working on. Yeah. So the the freelance business, I, I, again, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I I really do give a lot of credit to Idle, the Course Academy. As you know, I signed up for the freelancer bootcamp first. That was, that was the first one I did. And going through that was super duper eye-opening when it came to operating a business on your own, some of the concepts. And uh, it's funny because I, I went through that and I was like, okay, I got it. But as you know, running your own business, you never really have it. You're, you're always kind of learning, doing new things, getting new ideas, seeing how other people do things. And then I go back to the freelancer boot camp and I was like, oh man, yeah, Dr. Robin and Christy and Dr. Nicole said that, you know, three years ago, two years ago when I was taking this thing and I d- didn't listen to it then. And, and so now it makes sense to me. But I, I think it, it's been one of those things where, you know, the suggestions in there, as well as some of my own personal experiences have just led me to keep working on it, keep making an effort, keep being consistent with the the business that I'm trying to operate. And it's the Idle Course Academy as well has led to other experiences and opportunities that I've had. But my business uh, right now is is I hope growing and continuing to grow when in regards to some of the customers that that I work with, an idea of some of the types of work that I do. I do a lot, admittedly, of e-learning, storyline-based e-learning. And that is, I'm doing, I do a lot of training for teachers. I've got a couple of clients that I do training for teachers for kind of compliance, more compliance-based style of training. But I've had an opportunity to do some really cool stuff and and work with some really, really talented and fun people in that space. And it's something that I never would have heard of, but it's really, really intriguing. And then in addition to that, I've recently been working with making 
job aids, handouts, marketing materials. I do voiceovers as well at times. So, and then we've done animations. I did a, a whiteboard style, explainer style animation. So again, kind of back to my roots in video, doing music, sound effects, sound design, animation, all those kinds of things in addition to narration. So it, it winds up being a lot. But one thing I find myself doing a lot, a lot, a lot, and I didn't realize this when I get started, I do a ton of writing. You know, I just never really understood or appreciated how much writing is involved in generating these ideas that go into design or go into e-learning development. So I do quite a bit of that for myself uh, on my blog and, and just trying to continue to improve my craft as an instructional designer, as an e-learning developer, but also as a, a graphic designer, you know, to a certain degree, a sound artist, a vocal artist, and then simultaneously try to, I, I guess, continue to make better learning experiences for the learner, whatever those may be, and get myself out of the mode of saying, hey, it has to be video, for example, or it has to be e-learning, but really get into the mode of what is the, the real issue at heart and what are the learners struggling with? Why is it that they're not doing this or complying with this? And what is it about them that we could leverage? What do we know about the learners that we can leverage to then make the experience more meaningful, more memorable, more engaging, and have better outcomes for them? So I'm always working on that at the same time, trying to, to build the business and, and get out there a little bit more as well. So you've been building a lot. You've been working with several different types of clients on several different types of projects. And, and I guess that's kind of what brought us to what the conversation is today, which is what does that process look like to have a conversation with a client, whether that client is, well, in your case, it's a you know freelance client, but in most people's cases, it'll be, you know, the client is their organization that they mm -hmm. work for full time. But I think that the conversation's the tips and advice that we're going to talk about would apply to both situations. But so now you're starting to think about, okay, how can I create better learning? What can we leverage? So what does, how has this process changed for you over time, working with clients and working through the process and having better conversations so that you can meet those outcomes? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because it, for me, naturally, I'm a bit more of a doer. Like I am very action oriented. So if someone says, do this, my inclination is, all right, let me figure out how to do it. Like what, what do I need to do to be able to do that? And I get sometimes a bit myopic in doing something, but I think what's happened for me is a bit more of the why, you know, why are we doing this? What are we trying to accomplish? Who are we doing it for? Right. And then what can we do? And not not in an effort to avoid work, but what can we do to make the solution the simplest and most effective that it can be? And I, I think my the, the thing that's changed for me to a great deal, to a great degree is, you know, I guess less of an assumption that the person who's telling me what to do actually knows what needs to be done and really understands the thing fully. Because I, I think in conversations that I've had with, with people, they're coming into it maybe with some, just some direction that they've got, 
you know, and I think it's really, really good to try to understand. And, and that's one thing that I've done even with, with my business is when I talk to clients, I, I make every effort to understand kind of what is at the core of what they want to do. And that involves, at least from my perspective, it involves patience. It involves trying to have multiple conversations. It, it And it does involve to a degree, a bit of disagreement. And by disagreement, I don't mean, you know, angst, but I do mean, you know, asking why, you know, okay, why, why do you feel that this is the best solution? Why do you feel that this is what they need? You know, and with it, it's a balance, isn't it? Because you can you can ask a question in a way that makes someone appear that you're doubting them or that you don't trust them or don't believe them. And I've certainly done that, you know, not intentionally, but that's just kind of how I come across sometimes. But also really trying to ask a question in a way that helps you to make gives them the impression that you really want to understand more, you know, and I think that's what I'm trying to get better at is really understand more and then explain to, to people, uh, you know, why I'm asking this question. And, and Hey, sometimes it goes well. And sometimes it doesn't admittedly, I I've had conversations with clients. It's like, Hey, you know, we, we don't need to ask that. And you'll say, okay, you know, that's, that's fine. But that doesn't necessarily mean I'm not going to ask any more questions or I'm going to stop trying. I, I do think where I've changed is, I've really become more oriented on asking questions, but also a little bit more crafty on when to push, when to give, when to take, you know, when to pull. It's I think it's a it's a negotiation. And those negotiations are kind of delicate dances where we're both kind of moving together with a similar goal in mind, right? They want something. I, of course, in many cases, want to work with them. So it's it's kind of a balance to strike. And I'm just continuing to work on that balance. And as I understand learning, as I understand learners, as I you know hear different perspectives on learners, it helps me to kind of craft in my mind what I want those kind of conversations with clients and stakeholders to look like. What kind of things do I need to ask for? And it helps me to prepare in advance in a way that I can ask and hopefully have a, a good conversation and build trust and build a good relationship. I just feel like right now, Brian, I'm thinking like, well, but what does that look like? Do you have any kind of examples of of a conversation that you can share with us where you've, you know, maybe approached it in these new ways that you're thinking about this, this delicate dance? Like, what is it? What does it sound like? Yeah. So I had a client who spoke to me about doing some e-learning and they want e-learning. They had a, a, an ILT, right? They had an ILT. They say, okay, we're going to convert it to e-learning. And, you know, I think sometimes on online and on the internet and, and a lot of these people who I, I genuinely respect and who I, whose viewpoint I, I really, really feel is legitimate in many areas. Sometimes people will say, well, Hey, you know what, you know, that's not something you want to do, you know, push back immediately. But for me, I said to myself, well, if I'm if I'm the other person, I, I also think empathy is really important. If I'm the other person and I'm coming to a client and I say, 
hey, are coming to a subcontractor, someone who I want to hire. And I say, hey, I want to do this thing. And their first, the first words out of their mouth is, no, absolutely not. We shouldn't do this. If that's the first thing I, I get to, I say to myself, you know, how does this person know? Now I start to become suspect of their suggestion because they don't really understand me. So with that kind of empathetic approach in mind, I spoke to the client and I, my first thing was, that sounds great. We want to do X e-learning. We want to put all this, this training we had into e-learning. That sounds great. You know, let's, let's do that. Tell me about the training. What is it that the training was on? What did you talk about? How long? I feel like asking some, I was asking some questions about the actual training just to kind of get the person talking about something that they're interested in, because this was not a C-level person. This was an L&D person. So from my perspective with the, the client that I had, we're on the same level. We have the same goals, right? Is to, to make good quality learning experiences for the people that we serve. And so for me, I tried to then, once I understood kind of the project, what happened, the training, I tried to shift it a little bit to aspects of the training. Okay, who are the learners, right? Tell me who the learners are. Maybe you can help me to understand where, why this training you felt was necessary for them. And that opened up a big, a big conversation, a great conversation with the person. And they started talking about, well, it's this level kind of leadership. And we have these motivations with this group. And we have that motivation with the other group. These people want to do it that people don't. I said, okay, so now we're getting into learner motivation, which is great, right? Because that's the kind of thing that we want to talk about. And that was the, the first conversation I had with the client was just a 20 minute conversation. Just touch on a few topics. Okay, let's move on to a follow-up, right? So the follow-up was scheduled. We did it for an hour and, and I repeated what he, the client had said the first time just to make sure, Hey, I'm trying to understand this. Do, do I understand this correctly? Yes, this is it. This is the thing. So then I, I tried a question. What are, how are you looking for learners to change after they do this training? Like when you look at learners, what, how can you tell that someone has taken this training and another person has not? in terms of your company. And that led to another conversation, right? Why do the learners, because I, I had already opened up the conversation about learners. So I had already laid the groundwork for who the learners are. So I'm trying to ask him, why would they want to do this training? Like what's, what's motivating for them to do it? Where are they at? Where are the learners at right now? Those kinds of things. I think for me, laying a groundwork, understanding what the problem is that they're hoping to fix, Right. I think you just gradually work your way into those deeper conversations. And it's my opinion that people, clients, the persons you're talking to, they'll either give you that information or they won't, you know, so they'll, they'll give you an in to say, you know, this. And so you can expand on something that they've already said rather than necessarily trying to bring up something new. So I, I think it's, it's almost one of those things like building blocks, right? And you, you at first lay a foundation for what they want and then you start to show greater curiosity for some of the things that they've said and try and understand those better. That leads to other things and that leads to other things. Of course, I, I don't just, you know, have a conversation where we're kind of bouncing around with people. I am definitely, I have an outline in front of me, you know, on my, on my computer screen with things that I've thought of 
prior to the conversation, I have questions that I send to those who inquire about the services. So then I get some information about their project before we even meet. So based on that, I kind of give myself an outline of what kinds of things I might ask about. And then I let the conversation just kind of go and and see what happens. (laughs) I love how you even worded the question, Brian, where you said, what is the change that you want to see? How will you know if one person has taken the training and the other person hasn't? Because there's so many other ways I think we usually ask those questions that are probably wrapped up in our own jargon and our mm-hmm. own understanding of what those things mean. Yeah. But the, the fact that you just say, like, what's the change that you want to see? Yeah. I mean, and so you, at the very beginning, it's if you can just, you know, lead them in a in a friendly conversation, you find that you get most of what you need. Right there in those in that beginning conversation? Yeah. So, I mean, I would say my first scoping kind of call with the person, I, I don't, I set that up on my website. You know, if you say you click on my let's talk, let's get started. It's a 20 minute conversation. And I feel that in 20 minutes, you can get a feel for what to ask next. That's my opinion. And it, it obviously is going to vary based on the size of the project, right? So, you know, sometimes in 20 minutes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But I, I think, you know, I can get a feel for for how much we can talk about, how far we can go in that first conversation, depending on who I'm talking to. And, you know, it, it's it's a matter of when you're freelancing, in many cases, it's a matter of, hey, do I want to do this with this client or not? In some cases, you're desperate. And if you are, then that's that's fine, too. You know, those there's I feel like there's no there's there's no sin in taking a not so ideal client if that's what you need. And that's fine. But I think that sometimes we we just have to try and we have to keep continue to make the effort to go c- kind of push things in, into w- what might be considered the more ideal direction, but it doesn't always end up that way. Like even with this client, I told him at the end of our conversation, at the end of our second conversation that, Hey, what we're going to do is we're going to take what you have and convert it. That's the, the base. We're going to take what you have and convert it. However, as we go through the pro, as you go through the process, there may be opportunities where I can make a suggestion and see what you think about adjusting the learning experience to help you to accomplish the change that you want to see, to help you to bring the motivation of certain learners up, right? To make sure that based on the environment that they're in, you are, are they're going to have a better experience? Because I think an aspect of an important aspect of learning experience design, especially in dealing with clients, is making the effort to add value to the experience for the learner as well as for the client and accomplishing real measurable goals. And sometimes people want that and sometimes they don't, but that it is what it is. It doesn't negate the value of the effort. So I think, yes, to your question, I would say, yes, I can get a lot out of that first conversation and a lot out of a a second conversation. And I would, I'm always inclined to talk more, you know, if, if we can, depending on what the timeframe of the project is to get better understanding, to see if I can continue to position myself as more of a advocate for the project rather than the project executor, you know, 
and it's, it's a balance to strike. And, and we just, I, in my opinion, just keep trying to go in the right direction. It's not going to be perfect every time, but keep working with the clients to make sure it's, it's heading towards where you would hope it would be. I have pulled out so many um, golden nuggets from this, Brian. First was, you know, what's the change that you want to see and like leading them through a conversation where basically you're just asking them to talk about what they already know, what they're already interested in. You're just Mm -hmm. kind of leading them. And then I love how you basically have set expectations. You say, yes, I'm going to give you what you want and I will make suggestions to help you reach these goals, these changes that you said that you wanted. So right there at the beginning, it's like you've already set yourself up with them, mm-hmm. right? By saying like, I'm going to make suggestions mm-hmm. yeah. to make some changes, to make some improvements based on what you said that you want. And so I can already see how just setting th- just these couple of tips would set you up for a better place to where you're not combating them, but you are not a order taker, but instead you truly are paving a path to be a partner, which is what we want, but we mm-hmm. don't want to come off as, like you said, like our first conversation is like, oh, I don't do that type of grunt work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I, I think, I mean, it would it would be a similar thing if you hired someone to do your landscaping and you say, hey, can you can you mow this lawn and, and do like pff, I don't do mowing lawns. That's ridiculous. I'm 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 a landscaper. You know, I'm going to talk about changing your lawn. You're like, well, that's not really what I wanted. Right. But we can get to that point where you can have a landscaping suggestions. But at first, let's talk about mowing the lawn. So I think sometimes it, it does. It, it, it is valuable in having a basic conversation with someone about what they want first. And allow the relationship to develop to the point where, you know, you can get, maybe you don't have time for that. That's fine too. Move on. But, you know, if, if you can do it, I, I think there's, there's value in that because rather than creating, rather than creating a client that bounces from one person to the, to the next and says, well, this person pushed back on me and that person pushed back on me and that person pushed back on me. I, I think you can, you can put kind of paint people into a corner a little bit where they're going to be less inclined to listen to the next person. But or or you can be a a, someone who does what they want, but also advocates for things that are better. And then maybe the next time, even if it's not with you, maybe the next time, I, I mean, obviously, ideally it is with you, right? They continue to come back. But if the next time, maybe they may be more open from the beginning to hear what a learning professional has to say about the topic you know, about the e-learning, about the learning experience, and it gets a better learning experience next time. And I think that's that's an aspect of what we all want to try and do is continue to move the industry in the right direction. And it 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 can't necessarily be from only being in, you know, working, fighting ourselves into the stakeholder position. It, you have to you have to work your way up there and and it takes time and effort. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I, I think it's an effort well worth it in my opinion what have been your strategies for okay you've you've laid the groundwork right you've mm-hmm. set their expectations you know what the motivations of their learners are you know what represents change for them and so you've done a great job setting it up but when you actually make the suggestions mm-hmm. what is that how do you have those conversations do you ever get when you do oh, let's just pretend that you do yeah. Let's say that you do get pushback when you're making the suggestions, even though 
you've set up, up those expectations. How do you handle it from there? I mean, obviously it's a lot easier since you've set expectations, but what does that kind of look like? Cause I think that's usually where people get stuck to is like, okay, maybe I've set the groundwork, but now I'm actually making the suggestion and they're like, no, that's, this is the way we want it. Right. Again, I, I hate to, at the expense of sounding like a, a broken record, it, it is a bit of a balance. You know, I've, I've made so many videos in the past and I've worked with so many different individuals as stakeholders. And I tell you, I've been shut down on ideas six ways to Sunday. I I really have been. I've had ideas about all sorts of things and I've just been been burned down on several occasions. But I think when it comes to, you know, making the suggestion, one aspect of it is making a good prototype. And I can't remember who said this. I, it it might have been Kathy Moore or in one of her books, but like really making a good prototype that shows them exactly the thing that they want. Right. Because I think where I've made mistakes in the past is not even, not even doing the thing that the client wants. Like I'm, this is a bad idea. So I'm not even going to do it. I'm going to do this other thing and then kind of present this other thing as, Hey, this is a superior idea, but, but empathy has helped me to, really kind of understand the, the thing from their perspective. And that is, Hey, you know, we had this idea and and you might not know what went into it, right. To, to getting it to that point, but we wanted to see this thing brought to fruition first. Right. And then maybe from there, it becomes obvious that something needs to change. So, so my thought on it is, you know, depending on, of course, what the situation of the circumstance is, you can come up with, a new idea or a new, a new proposition, a new concept to present. But it, to a, to a certain degree, there does need to be a presentation of what was agreed upon first and, and then have a conversation about it, depending on how well it's working. And to me, if you, if you have the bandwidth or the ability to also prevent and present an alternative. So that way, at least the person can, the stakeholder, the client, whoever can a B the option then that's good. That's, I think that's better. You know, you don't necessarily have to make a career out of the alternate, right? (laughs) But it should be something that is viable such that someone can look at it and say, make a legitimate comparison between the two where the alternate or the original is not distracting, right? Sometimes people, I've seen this done before, right? In, In design, you'll have, Hey, this is what you wanted. And this is what I think it should be. And the one that you think it should be is like so much nicer. And the one that they want is like uh, kind of ratty and you say, Oh, okay, come on. Like that's, that's manipulative. I think we we definitely want to have the conversation based on two things that are like, we want to compare apples with apples. So, you know, making something that's what they want to, to say, Hey, I made the effort on what you wanted. I made the effort on this. And as I was doing it, this this idea came to my mind that it want, it might be more effective. So one, it's not necessarily presenting just, hey, this is a new idea based on what you had, but based on what you wanted, here's an idea that might expand that or might improve this for uh, learners, might improve the learning experience. And then the other aspect of it is why, you know, this is this is why be based on the context of where this fits in based on what you've said about the learners based on what we know about what a change we're trying to effectuate 
here's why this might be a, a better solution. And talk about, see how the person feels. Sometimes they're obviously going to be, no, we're in love with this thing that we got. That's fine. It, it really is what it is. If they're paying the bills, then that's that's what it is. But at the same time, I do think those things can gradually work and be beneficial. You know, the proposition of changes can be beneficial without necessarily having to be acrimonious. And something that I've learned too is, and especially in, in dealing with some of the trainings that I've done with teachers is at other times, there are other things at play that you're just not aware of. And so your idea might in its in and of itself for a change, it might be valid, but in the context of other things that you don't know, it those other things might be invalidated. And so you have to try to find those out. And sometimes there's no way you can find, there's no way you can know those things without making a suggestion. And then the person says, well, because of this, 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 and this, we're not going to do that. You say, okay, that's fine. It might also be that they just don't like it and they don't want to do it. I've had that. I've had that happen to me too. So it's like, I think, you know, we, we do to a degree as learning professionals and it's a, it's a challenge. There is a degree of cultivating kind of this indefatigable spirit where you're always doing your best to advocate for the learner, to advocate for making the, the experience as effective engaging as possible to advocate for making real change. And sometimes people don't want to do that and that's okay. But that practice is still viable, still valuable for you as a professional. Okay. I have one more question along these lines and it popped in my mind and that is, okay. uh, There's a lot of takeaways I think that people have had from here about like guiding that conversation. Mm -hmm. What about at the beginning when you've had your conversation with them and you know you know what the change is you know who the learners are you know mm-hmm. what they're asking but your solution that is different from what they're asking right mm-hmm. would would probably be more expensive yes yeah so what i mean that's that's what i'd be curious about like well how do you have that come, what does that negotiation kind of look like for you when somebody comes to you with an idea mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, just make, you know, click next e-learning or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're like, but we could do better. How, how does that negotiation look like for you? Do you still try to work with them? And yeah, how? That's a good question. I think, you know, from the very beginning, if, especially in freelancing, and and I think this is probably true of any any freelance business or anything, uh, probably any business. If we can't have a conversation from the beginning about money, then it's not really going to to be workable or viable. I, I feel like there there has to be even before we kind of get into the solution part of things, there has to be an understanding of where the person is coming from with their budget. I've heard Christy Tucker in the e-learning freelancer bootcamp, she said that, you know, she asks from the beginning, you know, what kind of budget do you have in mind for this? Because, you know, these kinds of e-learnings, they cost X thousand dollars, right? And so if you are not really, if if you want a $5,000 e-learning for $500, then there really isn't much that we're going to be talking about in terms of solutions because you, the kind of fundamental here is not enough. The foundation is not enough to build on to get to where I think this thing should go. 
And so that would negate that kind of conversation anyway. I, I feel like there as the balance of learning professional and business person is is the one to strike, right? Because you do need to you do need to talk about how much they've allocated or what in their minds they're thinking this thing should be budgeted or should cost. But also, I think there's a there's a need to try to understand where they are from the perspective of what they want to do with the thing, right? What they want the thing to do. Do they really want this to be something special? For example, they say, man, I, I really want this thing to, to shine. It, it's really, really a, a, a really important project to us, the company, what have you. We think it should be this. So you say, okay, so now you've kind of got an idea of, well, if this thing is special and you really want it to be something special, then here's where we can go to make it that special thing. However, the dichotomy between where we should go and your budget needs to be addressed, right? And is that something from your perspective as a client? Do you feel like that's a place where you you want to go and are willing to go? Or do you say to yourself, nah, we really got to cap it at this thing? I think it's it's almost, it's not just one conversation in terms of the solution. It's two conversations in trying to get an understanding of where they are with their budget and their feel on the on the piece. And then are are we going to go to another level with it? I had that a couple of years ago where we did an animation, an e-learning animation. And the person, the client was like, hey, I'm thinking that it's going to be this X thousand. But as we got into the weeds on it and said, this is what you really want, it's actually going to be like double that. So now, are you, how far how far of that double are you willing to go? Because that gives us an idea of well, the, the client really wanted the thing to be special, really wanted it to be impactful, and really really thought it had as a product, it had a real viability in the future for making big impact. So they were willing to to go the extra mile on the budget. Not everyone's like that, right? So <laughs> so so how do you how do you figure that out? I, I think you have to have those conversations and and have them openly and candidly. I, I look at a lot uh the future podcast with Chris Doe. And on his podcast, they, they talk a lot about just being candid with the money and and having those conversations up front and knowing your worth and knowing the kinds of things. And I think you know that kind of prep is important yourself to be there and to be to then make a decision. It's like, okay, if this person is not going to go that far with this, then here's what we can do with, with what you got. And you being the decision maker as to whether or not that's going to be something that you want to do or not, you know? That's an excellent answer. And you're right. I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of people feel intimidated about talking about money and things like that, but really and truly in this part of your business, you are the salesperson. And if they don't want to talk about money, that means they aren't showing any buying signs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So that's, you definitely want somebody who's going to show buying signs before you even spend your time. Right. Setting up your conversation. Right. Right. Because it's, it's time consuming, right? To, to sit down and think about, okay, how am I, what's the solution? What am I going to come up with? What are we going to do? That That's time. And that's, you know, that's your money, right? That's, that's you working. So if, if you know, someone's not going to really, you know, go there with you, then that's okay. In my opinion, obviously, you know, if, 
they're about to foreclose on your house and, and take your car away. You know, you maybe you might, <laughs> might have a different circumstances in which you make that decision, but it's fine. Yeah. So here we are. I think that we've talked a lot about this. Is there anything else about reframing our conversations or being more of a partner that you wanted to mention, like any last and final tips? Yeah. The one thing I would say, and this is something that was told to me and I say it to everyone, you know, don't give up. I think that's where we tend to lose out a little bit is, Hey, I think this and someone shuts you down. Then it's like, well, I'm not going to say anything like that anymore to this person or anything like that more anymore to anyone else. And we, we kind of over police ourselves in advocating for the project, advocating for the learner. And again, it doesn't mean you need to be this kind of brash, you know, devil may care person who is always going to push back on everything. It's not necessary, but you know, you can, you can definitely continue to look for opportunities and chances to try and, and make, make the thing better, to try and have those conversations, to try and ask questions, to try and introduce ideas that may lead to some, something better, some improvement. And that's, that's the one thing that I would probably say is I think we all need to not give up. We all need to keep trying. We all need to keep refining our efforts and, and using different strategies and, and getting better with empathy to try and understand that other person, because, and Kim said this on, on the Bell Vista studios, she, you know, she was like, Hey, I really lead with love. And I say, wow, that's really great because an aspect of love is empathy, you know, understanding that other person. And I think when we really try and do that and, and not just shut ourselves down, then we, we make the space for having the conversations that need to be had and making the positive changes that need to be made. Boom. There it is. There. <laughs> <laughs> that was incredible, Brian. I just, I think this will be really enlightening for so many who have heard different sides of this conversation and just mm-hmm. seeing that there is a middle way, there is a middle path. Yeah. And my last question yeah. for you, Brian, is like, I know you've mentioned the Chris Doe podcast, The Future. Yep. Are there any other resources that you've just kind of turned to in being better at negotiating and empathy and moving this conversation forward with all your future projects? Any resources you want to give shout outs to? Yeah. I mean, obviously, like I said, the future podcast with Chris Doe, I, I bounce back to him and his stuff on YouTube and things like that really a lot because it's super duper helpful. I've, and again, a broken record, but I found your e-learning, a freelancer e-learning bootcamp, the sessions, the Wednesday sessions to just be really, really great with you and Christy and and Dr. Nicole um, to just, again, hear it. You're, I, I don't think you're necessarily saying a new thing in a new way, but to just hear the same thing over again, it's like, yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. That, you know, it, it kind of reassures me and, and helps me to firm up a bit of a thought that I had already. Obviously, Christy Tucker's blog is great. And so is Dr. Nicole's. And so is the Idle Courses Academies. Those those blogs are really, really great. And I I also really like the Three Star Learning Experiences blog. For me, getting better with understanding the science, the background, the, the theory of learning, 
and balancing that theory with pragmatism and and the the practical aspect of creating something those that has really really helped me to say hey i want to advocate for this thing i like learning science weekly i read learning science weekly all the time i, I think it's it's great obviously the e-learning coach connie malamed's website is fantastic i i, I don't have like a, a go-to i read a, i read amp pew his emails, I get his emails every day and I read, you know, some of them I say, ah, I'm not sure about that, but I, I really appreciate kind of his take and approach on things. It's a variety of sources that I use to kind of gain a bit of a balanced input or a, a balanced mentality for myself. And I, I mean, shoot, I don't have all the answers for goodness sakes. And I don't, I really don't think anybody does, but I think we can all continue to keep growing and learning from one another and from our own experiences to, to try and get a little bit more confident to next time, every time we go take a step in the, in the right direction next time and, and just get better and ultimately make better learning experiences that really impact learners and effectuate real change. Thank you so much, Brian. This has been an absolute pleasure. And I feel like I've learned a few things. And so thank you so <laughs> much for coming and sharing with us on the Become an Idol podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. If you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer and online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn to build all the assets you need to land your first instructional design job, early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, and paid instructional design experience opportunities. Go to idlecourses.com forward slash academy and enroll or get on the wait list. Now get out there and build transcendent courses.